2 Samuel chapter 19, if you want to open your Bibles there, and we're going to continue in our study through the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 19. Now, uh, by way of introduction to our text today, maybe you saw a news story uh, a few years ago, and uh, basically there was a family, they went away on vacation, Uh, they brought their family dog, and while they were away on vacation, 500 miles from their home, they lost their, their, their family pet member of their family. And uh, they searched high and low. They searched frantically several days, the last few days of their vacation. They actually extended their vacation, I believe, to, to search for their dog. They didn't find him. And so they went home just brokenhearted. They'd lost their, they'd lost their, 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 their dog. Six months later, to their shock and amazement, their dog showed up at their doorstep 500 miles away. Now, this dog had been through the ringer. I mean, he showed up filthy, flea-ridden, fully half of his body weight lost, you know, and, uh, and yet there he is. Now, the story went public. One of the, you know, local news you know, channels or whatever carried the story. It went viral. And as the story went viral, the reports started coming in of people who had seen the dog. And everybody kind of basically told variations of the same story, which was that this dog uh, refused all help and assistance. It was just, you know, set on a mission. This dog had one objective, had one goal, had only one concern, and that was to be reunited with its master. Well, today here in our text, we're greeted with a similar scene. Uh, what we're going to see here today is that Israel is being reunited with their true king, David. And in this reuniting, there's thousands of people that are coming to meet David and to bring him back into Jerusalem. And they want to be reunited. And what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on three of the people that go to be reunited with him. Uh, and what we're going to see is the lessons that those three have to teach us in serving the king. And so that's our our big idea, that's our lesson today is how can we serve our king? What are the lessons that we can learn from three of the thousands that went to receive their king and to bring him uh, back in uh, to, to Jerusalem? First thing, first point, if you're taking notes, you can just write it down. We can serve our king, we can serve the king by refusing to conform to this world. We can serve the king by refusing to conform uh, to this world. Verse 24, uh, it says, Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So he is a Mephibah mess is what he is. He is just an absolute wreck. Now, David here, he's returning as the king. You guys know the story if you've been with us. Basically, his son Absalom uh, tried to take over the kingdom, tried to kill his father, ran him out of town, uh, and the, the, the plot failed. Uh, many people were killed in the process. It was a bloodbath. Over 20,000 people died. Uh, and ultimately what happened was that David now is going to be reinstated as the king and is being welcomed by everybody, even those that had rejected him and had sided with Absalom. They now recognize the error of their ways. They're welcoming their king back. And among the thousands that are welcoming the king back is Mephibosheth. Now, we were introduced to Mephibosheth in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and again in chapter 9. And basically what we learned there was that 
Well, he's the son of Jonathan. And, and so as Jonathan's son, um, he was, well, he was, at, when Jonathan and his father Saul were killed in battle, there, there, there was this quaint little custom back then, and that was that if the king is killed and somebody takes over the throne, then they go and they kill everybody that's left of that king's family so that they have no challenge to their throne. And so what had happened was is that, uh, that David, well, David had an agreement with Jonathan. When, when Jonathan was still around and, and Saul was still the king, Jonathan and David could see the writing on the wall. They knew that God had called David to be the king. They knew that the spirit had departed from Saul. And so Jonathan was like, you know, dude, you're going to be king, and, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve with you. But, but hey, listen, let's, let's deal with, with this whole custom deal of, you know, when you become king, that you ain't going to kill, you know, me or my brothers or any of the family. And not that Jonathan thought that he would, but they entered into this agreement where basically David said, look, I'm going to take care of your whole family. I'm not going to kill your family. You know, I, I, I love you like a brother, man. So, so they enter into this covenantal agreement that, look, anything happens to you, I, I'm, you know, when I become king, I'm not going after your family. Well, so Jonathan is killed in battle. His father is killed in battle. And now the, 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 the nurse who takes care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and he's just a little boy at this point in Second Samuel chapter 4, and so she scoops the kid up and she starts to run with him because she, she's thinking, well, now whoever's killed them in battle, whoever takes over is going to kill the kid. So she starts running. Well, she falls down and the kid is injured in the fall and now he's lame. He can't walk. And so this is 2 Samuel chapter 4. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David, he has now become king. In chapter 9, things are going great. You know, he assumes the throne. It's before he has the, the fall where he falls into, you know, sinful adultery with Bathsheba and, and all, of, all of those shenanigans. So this is during that, that, that honeymoon sweet period of time when he takes over the throne. So in that place, in that time, David now is just overwhelming with, hey, what can I do, you know, as the king to, to be able to bless God and to bless others? Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in the law? And he said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is the most important commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you know, the, the whole Bible, because he goes on to say, you know, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the whole Bible is summed up in, in two commands, love God and, and love others. So David, when he's now in the, the, you know, assuming the throne and now the king in Israel, he wants to do both. He goes to God. He's like, hey, how can I love you? Can I build a temple? God's like, no, that's not your job. You're, you, you know, you got, you're a man with blood on your hands. You're, 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 you're you know, a warrior and so on. So, no, you're not going to build my temple. Uh, that's a job for your son. But you, you, you do your job and you go and fight and defeat the enemies and all that. David's like, Check, got it, I'll, I'll do that. Well, now David goes to, okay, so how can I bless other people? And there in that heart, in that mindset, he remembers, well, I made this promise to Jonathan that I'd take care of his family. So, so he goes looking for, you know, Ziba, who is the servant of the house of Saul. And he finds Ziba, and he's like, okay, hey, what, uh, you know, Z- 
is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I, that I can bless, that I can take care of? And he's like, yeah, there's this cat, Mephibosheth, but you know what? He's lame. He, he's lame from a fall. You know, so, so you're looking to, for somebody to take care of, but you got, you got this guy over here, but, he, but he's not worth the effort. And David says, no, 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 he is worth the effort. I'm going to take care of him, bring him to me. Basically moves him into his house, into his palace. He sits at the king's table. It's this lavish lifestyle. He basically blesses the socks off of this guy. And over and above that, he tells Ziba, he says, look, your job from now on is you're going to take care of of, uh, Mephibosheth's stuff. He's going to live with me at the palace but his house, his farms, his vineyards, all that stuff, you're going to tend all that stuff. I'll give you a portion of that stuff, uh, you know, for the effort. But, but basically, because he's lame and because your job is to be the servant of his household, that's what you're going to do. Now, a couple things about this. First of all, this is a picture of you and me, what happens with Mephibosheth. He is lame from a fall. And the king says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to be ministered to by me and provided for by me. You and I are lame from the fall, the fall into sin. The Bible says that we are all sinners by nature and by choice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just as... David desired to show Saul's family kindness for his son Jonathan's sake. God, the king, desires to show us kindness for his son's sake. And so what a beautiful picture. That's the first thing. But the second thing here is what transpires with Ziba. Because David tells Ziba, look, your job is to take care of him and take care of all of his stuff. And and so this is the way it goes down. But, But Ziba... Pulls a fast one on Mephibosheth. How's he do it? Well, verse 25, we continue. It says, so it was when he, speaking of, uh, or speaking of Mephibosheth, had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Hey, listen, when, when my son Absalom came and took over the throne and, and I beat feet to, you know, through the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives and on my way... And I had a lot of people during that time come to me saying, you're my king and I'm with you, but you never showed up. What, what gives? Why, where were you, man? Verse 26, and he, Mephibosheth, answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame and he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. What he's saying is this. He's saying, look, I'm, I mean, last you checked, David, I can't walk. I can't, I'm lame. So, so when I heard what was going down with you, I told Ziba, go get a, you know, a donkey saddle for me. I need to get there. I need to go there. And the guy went out and he saddled the thing. But next thing I realized, he took off without me. And what happened was, as David is beaten feet, because, you know, the house is on fire. You know, when your house is on fire, you just run. So you're out in the street in your chonies, you know, because everything else is, is, you know, burned. Well, David bailed out of Jerusalem, so he left with nothing. So he's got he, all of his household, and he's got all the people that came with him that said, I'm with you. They're on their way out, but they got no provisions at all. So Ziba shows up, and he's brought provisions for David. 
and he greets him as he's, on, as he's beating feet, and he says, hey, look, I got all this stuff for you. And David goes, Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? And he goes, well, funny you should ask. Mephibosheth actually is partying right now because you're running out of town. He thinks that now the house of Saul is going to be you know, resurrected, and so he's going to have a position of prominence. So you know, he, he's thrilled about what's gone down. He's thrilled that your son has overthrown you and, and all of this stuff. And David, in his anger at that moment, says, you know what? Everything that was his, I'm giving it to you. And so what Mephibosheth is telling David here is that, dude, he, he just completely stabbed me in the back. None of that happened is true. And, and he's, he's, he's dealt with me horribly. And, and, so, um, and so we read there, um, David says, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He answers, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my Lord, the king. And yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king. So basically, Mephibosheth is saying to, to the king, look, this guy screwed me over and, and it's, it's not right what happened, you know, but, but, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to trust, I'm just going to trust my lot to you. I'm, I'm just going to absolutely trust my lot to you. And, and, and moreover than that, listen, what he's done is he's demonstrated by the outward appearance that he's not down with what's going on with, with, uh, with Absalom. And by the way, that was a huge risk to him because what, what's happening, hasn't bathed, hasn't washed, hasn't trimmed his beard, uh, his beard, and what he's displaying is a symbol of mourning. What he's displaying, he's given this outward display of that he refuses to conform to what's gone down. Because the guy's lame. It's not like he can go out and, and physically do anything about this rebellion that Absalom has perpetuated. But what he does is he says, I do what I can. I am not, I'm not for this. And Absalom, had he seen the, this outward sign of, of, of mourning, that, that Absalom has put on, well, or that, that Mephibosheth has put on, it's, it's a great risk to Mephibosheth because he is saying, look, I want everybody to see what's going on in my head and in my heart. I am, I am not down with this. This is wrong and, 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 and I got a problem with it. Now I'm reminded of a, of a story that I read several years ago about a father whose who's junior high kid, um, his school sent home a notification saying that they were having a, a sex ed program and they were inviting parents to come to a preview night so that they could see what the, the sexual education material that they were going to take their students through. Well, dad shows up. Remarkably, very few people actually showed up. But he shows up and they have the chairs all set up and they've got the, 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 the booklets out on the chairs. And so before the thing begins, he starts leafing through it. Sees nothing in, in the material about abstinence. 
And so he, he decides, as everybody comes and sits down, just before the, the gal starts her presentation, he, he says to her, hey, I, I went through this. I didn't see anything on abstinence. Well, openly, people are scoffing at him and making fun of him. One person actually says, you know, gosh, the dark age is called, you know, they, they want you back kind of thing. You know, and, and the, the, the teacher just dismissively and, and really arrogantly kind of says, well, you know what, morality is your job. Uh, we just teach scientific facts here. And, and so with that, as the starter to their thing, they begin to go through it. Well, he openly just feeling the hostility because he dared to ask, well, you guys don't teach anything on abstinence kind of thing. So the teacher begins going through all the material and at a certain point says, i tell you what we're going to do now. We're going to take a break. And uh, there's refreshments over there and everybody, some name tags. And make sure you guys, everybody help yourself to the refreshments, coffee and donuts and stuff. And everybody be sure to put your name tag on. And, uh, and so he, at this moment, he says, he, he, he hears God speak to him. And God says, don't go. So, so he just stays put. Now, the, 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 this teacher comes over to him and says, oh, you know, Mr. Smith, are you sure you don't want to go and, and join everybody? And he just politely says, no, no, thank you. And uh, still, she's persistent. Oh, are you sure? I'm sure all the other parents would like to meet you. He goes, apparently they don't. <laughs> so, no, thank you. I'm just going to stay here. So, they all go and they have this time. Well, they all come back. Now, everybody's got a name tag there. And the teacher begins to talk and, and to share and uh, completely ignores him, but begins to tell everybody, okay, so you all had a chance to get to know each other, and I see you all have got your name tags. And uh, can, can, can you guys take your name tags off? Who, who, had the, who has the blue flower on their name tag? And this gal says, oh, oh that's me. And she says, well, you know what? That re- represents gonorrhea. Can I, can I ask you who you've greeted? In the, well, I, sh- I greeted them, and I shook hands with them, and I shook hands with them. And she turns to them, and she says, now you've all contracted gonorrhea because you've, you know, interacted with, with her. Now, can I ask who has the purple flower? And another gal gets the purple flower, and she says, okay, now, now can you tell me who you shook hands with? And she says, well, I shook hands with, and she goes around, and then she, this gal says to one of the guys that, that she mentioned that she's shaking hands with, she says, well, now, Mrs. Jones here is pregnant, and so you have, have fathered a child with, with Mrs. Jones. And they, they continue to go around and do this, you know, who's, well, this, this person has chlamydia, and they've, you know, tra- transposed. And then she starts to launch into well, now, let me, let me just tell you, as part of our sexual education program, now, Mrs. Jones, if you, if you wanted a morning after pill, you wanted to get an abortion, you can go see the school nurse, and she can do this and this and that, and then, you know, so on and so forth. If, if you had, you know, we teach the kids about, you know, safe sex and all of these different things, and at that moment, the Lord spoke to Mr. Smith and said, speak up now. He said, excuse me. He said, uh, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, and I appreciate the material and, and so on. He said, but you know, you've indicated that, that everybody is either pregnant or has a sexually transmitted disease, and I'd like to point out to you that, no, not, not everybody here does. He said, I don't. I don't have a name tag because I abstained, right? <laughs> and so there are some times in life when man we got to take a stand. See, what you do matters. 
2 Corinthians 3 says that we are living epistles, that we are known and read by all men. And what that means is that people who have never read a Bible are going to read you. And, and the, the, the fact is, is that we need to be those that live relative to the king that we're longing for. Mephibosheth, living in a land, living under rebellion that he does not agree with, he lives in such a way that represents, I'm not with this king. My life represents that I'm longing for another king. In other words, your life shouldn't conform to the current trends. Your life shouldn't conform to the spirit of the age. Now, we should live in such a way that I'm a living epistle that says, look, this is who I am. This is, this is what I am. This is what I mourn over. And this is what I live for. And we see Mephibosheth doing this. That, that, that he is, he's a man, even at great personal risk, is willing to say, you know what? I'm mourning this and I'm going to live in this way so everybody knows that I'm not down with this. Well, not only does he demonstrate his faithfulness to the king by, by mourning the rebellion, but notice he also demonstrates the faithfulness of the king by putting his money where his mouth is. Second point, if you're taking notes, is that we can serve the king by caring more about his glory than our gain. We can serve the king by caring more about his glory than our gain. Again, verse 26, you know, he, he says, look, uh, my lord, king, my servant deceived me. For I said, I'll saddle the donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But listen, here's, here's the part. He says, but my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what's good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. He's like, look, I've got nothing but blessing from you. I have tasted and seen that my king is good. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is what he's saying. He's like, look, this guy wronged me, but, I, but, but you've done nothing but good to me. So you know what? It's not about the stuff and I can just leave it. I can just be able to cry out anymore. And, and that's what he said. Therefore, what right have I uh, still to cry out anymore to the king? Verse 29, so the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. And then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. And so what's happening here, at first glance, you read this, and it, it kind of sounds like David is being a jerk, doesn't it? Because basically Mephibosheth's going, look, this guy railroaded me. He completely, you know, messed me over. He went to you, gave you this song and dance. And, and now, you know, you gave him all my stuff. But, but you know what? I, I'm just going to trust you. Now, David says at this point, he's like, well, you know what? Just split it 50-50. Now, there's some people, they look at this section of text and they say, what's really happening here is that when David originally allotted the land and said, look, it's yours, Mephibosheth, and Ziba's going to work it, and he can you know, keep some of the produce for himself. There's some who read this section of text and say, that's what David's doing. He's just reverting it back to, all right, let's go back to the original agreement. You, your stuff is yours, and then he'll get a portion for working it. But that's, that's not the way I read this here. It's not the, that's not the way I see it. 
There's others that say, you know, basically what's transpired here is that David really is, is testing Mephibosheth's heart. That, that what's going down here is, well, it's not unlike what, what Solomon did in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, where, you know, Solomon has the, these gals that, that come to him, and, uh, and they're, they're, they're both harlots, and they both live together, and they both have young children, infant children that are nursing. And they come to King Solomon, and they say, hey, we got a dispute, and we need you to settle it. And the, the gal who brings the, the dispute says, now, I had an infant son, and I was nursing him. And my roommate, she also had an infant son. She was nursing him, and she rolled over on the infant while she was sleeping, and she accidentally killed her, her son. And, and that same night, while I was still asleep, she switched the kids. And so she put her, nurse, her dead son with me, and she took my son, and so she has my son, and I want him back. And the other gal pipes up. She's like, that's a lie. This is my son. So Solomon, he, he's like, well, who's telling the truth? So he says, I'll tell you what. Split him. Cut the kid in half, and each get apart. And, and so the, the, he said it as a test, because the one gal goes, fine, he'll be, he'll be neither of our sons. And the other gal, the gal that's the true, son, the true mother, says, let her, let her keep him. Let her keep him. And Solomon goes, you're the true mother. Give her her son back. Now, there are those that say, where did he learn that? Well, he learned it from David when he was dealing with Ziba and Mephibosheth. Because what Deba says here is, is, he says, you know what, you guys, just split it. And Mephibosheth's, Mephibosheth's response is to say, you know what, let him have it all. In other words, you know, it's probably indicating there that to, to David that, that, that this, is really, this is really him telling the truth. Here's the significance of this. Mephibosheth didn't care about his stuff. He, he didn't care about his gain. He cared more about his king's glory. And when you have eaten at the king's table, you too will care more about the king's glory than you will about your gain. David, the psalmist, in, in Psalm 23, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And how could David write that psalm? Because he had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. David had experienced that the, the gain of his king, God, was, was going to provide him all that he ever needed. Mephibosheth experienced that he's eating at the king's table. He's like, why do I care about my stuff? I, you've taken such good care of me and you're going to continue to take such good care of me. And I eat at the king's table. I want for nothing. What do I care? I, I don't care about my own gain. Because I've tasted and seen that my king is good. See, and so the question for you and me now becomes, what, what am I trusting in? And, and am I so caught up, am I more concerned uh, about, about gain 
than, than I am about, uh, about what, you know, what glory that, that, that God can have. And this is, this is what he says here. My, my, my father used to explain the kingdom of God to me this way. He says, look, Teddy, here's, here's, here's the drill. Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. There's, he goes, there's a lot of people, they go through life like, like, a, like, a, like a bum on skid row. And, and somebody comes along and they tell this bum, you won the lottery, man. And there's a, there's a limo here to pick you up and take you to your mansion. And the bum looks at that and says, I want to bring my cardboard box with me. The bum, all he's ever known, this is, this is, this is his everything. This is my cardboard box, man. This is, this is my home. This is my everything that I got. It's all wrapped up in this cardboard box. And they're saying, you don't need that cardboard box anymore, man. You got, you're going, there's a limo here to take you to a mansion. And he's like, I want to bring my box. Like, no, 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 you, you can't bring the box. Oh, then I don't want to go. And my dad explaining to me the kingdom of heaven, he's like, Teddy, a lot of people are like that. Don't try and hang on to your box, son. Don't try and hang on to that stupid, worthless cardboard box. You set your course by the gospel of Christ. It's a lesson that's always stuck with me, and it's a lesson that Mephibosheth had learned. It was a lesson that King David himself had learned. He wrote in Psalm 16, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And a few verses later, he says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, Mephibosheth had tasted and seen. You know what? The king is good. It's enough for me. And I'm more concerned about his glory than I am about my gain. My question for you before we move on is this, is is it enough for you? Are you more concerned about the glory of your king or are you more concerned about your gain? Well, now let's move on. We see another faithful follower of the king among the thousands that are there. We're gonna look at uh, Barzillai uh, there in verse 31 and it says this. And Barzillai, the... the, uh, yeah, Barzillai, the, 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 the Giladite, came down from Rogelim and he went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. And, and so here Barzillai is, is this guy. He's one of the guys that was mentioned in chapter 17. If you'll recall, when David was on the run and he's, and he's now, he's got a, a following with him running from Absalom. They're cold, they're hungry, they're tired. And, and these three guys get together and they bring David beds and basins and wheat and barley and flour and, and honey and the list goes on and on and on and, and, and all these stuffs that, that they give. Well, Barzillai was one of the guys that gave him that stuff. And our third point, by the way, here as we develop this is that we can serve the king with our gifts. We're seeing the lessons through, all, through these different highlighted guys of the thousands that came to meet their kings, how we can serve our king and we can serve our king with our gifts. Because what we see here is that Barzillai, it says there, he came down from Rogelim and he went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now it explains in verse 32, now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, 
And he had, and it's reminding us of what happened in chapter 17, <coughs> he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, uh, for he was a very rich man. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is not given to exaggeration. And so when the Bible says that he was a very rich man, he was very rich indeed, all right? And, and here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. The Bible teaches that God is our provider, that, that, that he provides all of our needs. But over and above that, what the Bible teaches is that he gives to us gifts. And then what happens is that he calls us to use those gifts for his service. Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And so God gifts us with a diversity of gifts. And then he asks us to use those gifts according to the calling that he's placed on your life. And I always encourage Christians this way. I say, look, if you want to know what God's called you to do, why don't you take a good hard look at what he's gifted you to do? And this gift of giving, this is what Barzillai's gift is. And God, that is a distinct gift that God gives to some people. Gives them the gift of giving. Now, the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches that some people hang on to their money so tight-fistedly that what happens is, is, is their, their money bags spring holes in them and all of a sudden people are like, where'd all my money go? And they're just trying their darndest to hang on to it, but all of a sudden it's like, hey, where, there's no, where'd all the money go? Well, because you worship money, God like took it all away from you kind of deal. There's other people that God, you know, blesses them financially and they go, you know what? They're just generous. They just give. And, and so what God does is, is with people who are generous in their giving, God gives them more. Why? Because they can be trusted. They're good stewards. And so, so God, you know, blesses and gives more and they give. And that's, it's just this, this wonderful spiritual dynamic. And you know it. You see it. There's people that you meet that are just, they're just givers. They just give. And, and so this is Barzillai's gift. And he's using it to bring glory to God. And he's using it to bless his king. And, and so what happens then, it's this interesting thing. You know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he... There, there, there was a, a, a promise that he made, and there was a prayer that he made, and this promise and this prayer are inextricably linked. And the promise that he made was, was in Matthew chapter 16, where he said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, the prayer that he makes is in John 17, and there in John 17, he prays for unity. He says, he says you know, essentially, Father, I pray that they would be one, even as you and I are one. And the linking of these two, here's the idea, is that what God wants to do 
is that he, he, he wants to build his kingdom, but he wants to build it through you and me. And so, so the, the attitude is that the work that Jesus began is supposed to continue through you and me. You read Acts chapter 1, and, and, and uh, Luke, who, who, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also authored Acts chapter 1, and as he starts off the, the, the book of Acts, he says, In my former work, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus Christ began both to do and to teach. Now, the implication of that word began is that Hey, Jesus' work began with Jesus, but it continues to this day. Through who? Through you and me. Jesus wants to continue to do work on this earth, and he does so through you and me. And the way that he does it is when we obediently use the gifts that he's given to us, coupled with the calling that he's given to us, and we just obediently go out and serve him in that way. And so Barzillai, he, he obediently served his king with the gift of giving that God had given to him. And the king said to Barzillai, verse 33, come across with me, speaking of the Jordan River, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste uh, what I eat or what I drink? Can can I hear uh, any uh, longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden uh, to you, my Lord, the king? He's basically going, look, I'm an old man. I mean, I'm, I'm going to sit at your table and it's the best cooking in the world. Like, I would know the difference. I'm an old man. My taste buds are shot. And all the singing and all the great entertainment and all of that, it's just like, I, I, what? I can't hear, you know? So, so, I mean, you know, he's basically saying, look, I, I love your heart, man. I love what you're offering me, but I'm just going to be a burden to you if I go with you to the kingdom. It's just, you know, it's just one more person to take care of. I mean, he's totally like, I, I, don't, I don't need that. And so he says, your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. Look, I just, I just love your company, man. I was blessed to help you, and I'm blessed to hang out with you. I'm blessed to be with you. I love your company. I'll go a little way with you. He says, and, and why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please, let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham, Let him cross over with my Lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me and I will do for him what seems good to you. And now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. And so basically here you've got Barzillai and he's been gifted incredibly by God. And he's a guy that's been faithful to use the gift to glorify God. He's like, God's made me a rich man, and I'm blessed to give it away. And, and, and he's discovered a spiritual principle that you can't outgive God. And the more he gives, the more God just wants to give back to him. And so now his king is offering him. He says, look, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you prestige. I'm going to give you a position. I'm going to give you a paycheck. Just come over and, you know, move into my, in, into my palace with me kind of deal. And quite frankly, this is the kind of thing that people clamor for, isn't it? People, they're all about power and prestige 
and position and paycheck. But notice Barzillai's response. He says, how long do I got to live? Great piece of wisdom there. Every, every single one of us needs to operate with that kind of mindset. The psalmist said this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's what Barzillai had. See, listen, he already had power. He already had prestige. He already had position. He already had paycheck. But those things didn't have him. Super important distinction. I I remember a story I heard about a, a, a businessman. He was on vacation in Mexico and he gets down there and there's this, there's this guy, he comes in, he's been fishing and it's like noon and he shows up and he, I mean, he's got a bunch of fish but his boat's nowhere near full and he's offloading his fish and the, and the businessman starts talking to him. He's like, hey, wow, good day fishing. He says, oh yeah, I had a great day fishing. He says, well, what, did they stop biting? Well, no, no I just, I got, I got all I need. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, you know, I, I, I take some fish home, I sell some fish at the local fish market and, and you know, I, I'm going to go home take a nap. And tonight, I'll take my wife to dinner. We'll go out dancing. I got a good life. He's like, oh, dude, it could be so much better. You have no idea. He's like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, hey, for starters, instead of knocking off at noon, why don't you fish all day? Because then you catch all that much more fish. He goes, well, what do I do with all that fish? He goes, well, you sell it to the local fish market. He goes, well, then what? He goes, well, then you buy another boat and you get another crew to, to staff that boat and you sell all those fish to the fish market. He goes, well, they're, they're only going to buy so much fish at, that, at, at the local fish market. He goes, so you go into the neighboring towns and you sell the fish to them. He's like, well, then what? He goes, you buy more boats. You staff it with more guys. You set, and he goes, well, no, no, hold it. Because even, even in this whole area, there's only so many towns and there's only so much the local fish markets will buy. He goes, that's the beautiful part, man, because now you go internationally. You got boats sailing all over the place. You're selling all over the world. He goes, well, well, then what? He goes, oh, man, then that's the best part at all. Then you don't have to work so hard. You can chill. You can knock off at noon. You can go home and take a nap. You can take your wife out to dinner and go dancing, right? And, and the thing is, is that this Barzillai, he's got power, he's got position, he's got paycheck, he's whatever. It, it doesn't have him. And sometimes our stuff has us. And, and so the, the, the thing for him is, he's just discovered that neat trick. I can serve the Lord with my gifts. I don't have to, I don't have to stress out. I don't have to try and hang on to everything. I, I, can just, I can just serve him with the gifts that he gives to me. And so he says, look, I'll pass, thanks, I appreciate the offer, but why don't you take Chimham uh, with you? And so verse 38, the king answers, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you, and now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. And then all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai, and he blessed him, and he returned to his own place. And now, verse 40, the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half of the people of Israel. Now, Chimham most likely is Barzillai's son. Um, and, and interestingly, Jeremiah 41 tells us about Chimham that later in life that he built a, a caravanzari in Bethlehem. Now, Caravanzari is basically, it's, it's a place designed to extend hospitality to strangers. 
And, and it's this sweet picture that Chimham, who has received and benefited from the king's hospitality, he then goes out to extend it to other people. Now, Dr. Arthur Stanley, who was the dean of Westminster in the 1800s, he wrote a book um, the, uh, about, it was entitled The Jewish Church. And, and in this book, he mentions Chimham. He talks about Chimham. And he basically says that, you know, Chimham built uh, a caravanserai in Bethlehem, uh, this place of hospitality. And one night, church tradition holds that when Mary and Joseph could find no room in the inn, that, that it was Chimham's home, it was his descendants that made room for him in Chimham's caravanserai. Now, w- whether that's true or not, we don't necessarily know, but what we do know is that there's this beautiful picture, this progression that we see here through this text. Because we see Barzillai, Chimham's father, who, who showed kindness and hospitality to his king. And then we see his king opening up his, king, his, his palace and showing kindness and hospitality to Chimham. And Chimham's legacy is that he extends kindness and hospitality to others and potentially even his legacy is that his home would show kindness and hospitality to the king of kings and to the lord of lords. It's a gorgeous picture. I love it. All of this culminates in this. Just some questions I would have you write down and take away as we conclude here. First of all, how are, the overarching question is, how are you serving the king? How, how are you serving the king of kings with your life, with your gifts? How are you serving him with your stuff, with your wallet, with your checkbook? How, how are you serving the king of kings with the opportunities that he gives to you? Another question I think is worthy of writing down and really taking a prayerful walk with is, um, are, are you conforming to this world? Or are you more like Mephibosheth, who is a Mephibosheth, but you are not conforming, you know? Are you set apart? And, and, and the, I guess finally, do you care more about his glory or do you care more about your gain? I think that's the trickiest one of all. Because so often it's all about what am I getting out of the deal? What's, what's in it for me? What's my gain? As opposed to, God, I'm going to live for your glory.